So we're going to move on to our sermon, and we're carrying on in, in the book of Acts, and we've made our way to Acts chapter 12. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19, and that's on page 1711. Thank you, Vic. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for trial after the Passover. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and he woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought that he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself, and they walked through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and has rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. And she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and the sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. And in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. 
And after Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and he ordered that they be executed. This is the word of the Lord. Is this story astounding to anybody else? I remember reading it in Sunday school and it's sort of a fairy tale, but reading it again as an adult was just like, what a mighty God we serve. So if you... um, have been watching the news headlines. Derek, can you hit the slide for me? You're going to be my slide man. Evidently, this battery's dead. So if you've been watching the news headlines, and specifically Christian news headlines, then this man is probably not a stranger to you. His name is Andrew Brunson, and he is a man from North Carolina who has been a missionary in the country of Turkey for 23 years. He's been faithfully serving the church and expanding the kingdom of God in the Middle Eastern regions for 23 years. And if you know anything about the Middle East, you know that it's very troubled. And you know that Turkey sort of functions as a bridge between the East and the West. And so to bring the gospel into Turkey is really to be at the forefront of the gospel advancing into the Middle East, which is like ridiculous, right? And so as we've been walking through Acts, we've seen that when the kingdom of God advances, what we get is a kingdom clash and the kingdom of darkness does not like this and so they come in opposition of the advancement of the kingdom of god and so it shouldn't be much of a surprise even though it's terribly tragic that pastor brunson has run into a major kingdom clash in december of 2016 brunson was summoned to turkish authorities for what he thought would be the moment when he was given his permanent visa as a citizen of turkey And instead, he found himself, like Peter, in shackles. So the Turkish government has actually charged Andrew Brunson with being a terrorist. Because they believe that as Brunson has converted people to Christianity, it has created disunity in the community, and that this has the power to actually overthrow the Turkish government. That to be a Christian has the capacity to overthrow an entire government. And so because of this, they've labeled Brunson a terrorist and they have arrested him. And so since December, this man has been in jail. There has been no evidence presented against him, real evidence. He was denied counsel of a lawyer for much of his imprisonment. He spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. His own daughter had to get married with him not there because life goes on, right? But because of this, a wave of prayer has swept across the nations. How many of you have heard this name before? Okay, Many people across denominations, across nations, across ethnicities have joined together and have been praying for Andrew Brunson that the Lord might deliver him from prison. And you might have read that about two, two, three weeks ago, Andrew Brunson was finally allowed to leave prison. And he gets to go home and live in his home with his wife in Turkey for the next few months until a trial finally takes place in the fall. And we have been praying for release and we have been praying for a fair trial. And so we give glory to that. And more than that, we give glory to the God that hears prayer. And that moves and works through prayer because we see in Andrew Brunson that our God is the same yesterday and he's the same today and he's the same forever. Hebrews 13.8 tells us this because God worked through the prayers of the early church to literally bust Peter out of a prison. 
And God has worked through our prayers today to literally bust Andrew Brunson out of prison. And God longs to work tomorrow and forever through the prayers of his people. Derek, can you hit the slide for me? And so this morning we're looking at a tale of two kingdoms. And you might remember I've used this title before. (laughs) But it's just too perfect because this is exactly what we are looking at in the book of Acts and in our story for this morning. So you've got the kingdom of God. You've got this early church, and it is spreading. The kingdom of God is spreading to Judea, to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. We've got people spread out all over the the known world at this time preaching the gospel. But the church is really centrally located still in Jerusalem. And so you've got guys like Peter and guys like James serving as, as the brain children, the figureheads of this movement. And so this early church with Peter and James is the kingdom of God. It's the headquarters of what is coming. And on the other side, you've got this King Herod. And you've got Rome, and you've got the kingdom of darkness operating in the regime of the Romans through this King Herod. Now, tensions are high in the city of Jerusalem. And they are higher than normal. And King Herod has himself in a little bit of a precarious predicament. You see, the Romans have appointed King Herod to rule over the Jewish community. But there's a little issue here because Jewish law states that only a full-blooded Jew can reign over the kingdom of the Jews. And Herod is only part Jew. Can you hit the slide for me, Derek? So three generations ago, before the King Herod that we see today, there was a man named Herod who was appointed to rule over the Jews in Judea. And he knew that if he didn't have the respect of the Jewish people over whom he had control, that Rome would just throw him off his throne. And he knew that those Jews needed him to be a Jew in order for him to control them and for them to respect him in return. And so he had married a Jewish woman, and he had spent his time attempting to maintain authority over this community. And the way that he had done that is that he had murdered all the male babies that were born in Bethlehem after the Magi came and told him, that a king had been born. The Jews did not want a new king, and he knew that he could garner their respect if he did this. And so his son, Herod Antipas, is the man who beheaded John the Baptist because he didn't like the authority and the shift that John the Baptist was presenting in this community. And here we landed our King Herod this morning, Herod Agrippa, who has beheaded James. And our text says that after he beheads James, he sees, oh, the Jews like this. And so who does he arrest but Peter? Now, the reason that the Jews are so riled up is because this kingdom has expanded, right? And so not only have Jews been converted to the way of Christianity, but now Gentiles are coming in, and those Gentiles are being circumcised. And if you are a Jew, to be circumcised means that you are a Jew, that you are part of the old covenant under Yahweh. And so for somebody to come and be circumcised and be baptized and to become a Christian is a slap in the face to their system and their structure and their culture. And so they're mad and Herod is afraid. Derek, can you flip the slide for me? And so we've got a contrast in character here. And so you see that this kingdom of darkness, the Jews are functioning out of anger. And Herod is operating out of pride for his authority and out of fear that he's going to lose it. And what do we do when we are afraid? We try to regain control. So he's scrambling to regain control of his people. And so then the question is, 
How is the kingdom of God behaving in the middle of this tension? Jerusalem is exploding with tension. And verse 5 tells us that the believers were gathered and they were earnestly praying. Now, earnestly is an English word that we don't use often, and it doesn't really have that much emphasis. But the word here in Greek, we see one other time in Luke's narrative. And it's used when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the angel has come and strengthened him, and he is praying to God. And it's this infamous verse where it says that he was praying so earnestly and so hard that he was sweating blood. This word earnestly is used there. Okay, so these believers are gathered, and they are praying with all of their might to God for Peter. And it doesn't tell us what they're praying for, but they are praying earnestly. And our pastors aren't here this morning. They're on vacation. But I imagine if they were in prison somewhere, I might be taking a collection to see if I could bribe officials to get them out. And I might be um, asking my husband to rally his army friends to come and do a break-in, see if we could bust them out, right? There's a lot of things that we could do (laughs) if if our leader is in prison. We could be picketing outside Herod's palace demanding justice. We could be fighting on our own to get them out. But this community is not striving, and they are not afraid, and they are not panicking. They are not trying to control or manipulate. They are earnestly praying. And we are down to the very last minute, people. Peter has been in prison for a while, and his trial is in the morning. And the last time one of their believers went before Herod in trial, they were dead like that. James was beheaded. This is crunch time. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon as a seminarian, I was actually frustrated by how easy and simple this sermon is. Okay? I didn't have to read through 17 books, and there wasn't a lot of language to dig deep into or exegesis, but... I think that's the beauty here and that's the grace because Luke is trying to tell us something very simple that is very fundamental to what it means to be children of the kingdom. Derek, can you hit the slide for me? Can you go one more? Thank you. This is what Luke is trying to tell us. Number one, that God advances his kingdom through the prayers of his people. Do you believe that? Our prayers do not change the will of God, but God in his infinite wisdom and mercy and grace chooses to operate through human agents. There are certain things that happen because we have asked him to do that. He operates through the prayers of his people. Number two, the power of those prayers prayed in accordance with the will of God are stronger than any power on this earth. All right, you have Peter, and we have a paranoid king, right? So Peter's sitting here, and he's laying here, and he's got one shackle here that's hooked to one soldier, and one shackle over here that's hooked to another soldier, and then there are two literally watching him to make sure that he doesn't escape. And then you've got 12 other soldiers hanging out, sleeping, so that he can't stumble over them and get out. And then you've got two series of gates to get out. And the prayers of a few people in a room break out chains, put people in trances, and they just march out of the prison. The power of prayer is stronger than any power on this earth. And number three, and this is probably the biggest point for this morning and one that is probably going to blow my mind for my whole life, but God loves to surprise his people by, by answering literally irrational requests and exceeding their expectations. So it would have been rational for these people to pray things like, Lord, would you soften Herod's heart 
and help him to release Peter from jail. It's a rational prayer. It would have been rational to pray, Lord, would you give Peter a fair trial that would result in his release? That's logical. It would even be rational to pray things like, Lord, would you just strike Peter down so that he doesn't have to be beheaded? Or would you make it a quick and painless death for him? We pray these things, don't we, when we think hope is gone? We pray for the end result? I don't know what they prayed. text doesn't tell us, but we certainly know what the Lord has delivered. An angel of the Lord that busts this man out of prison. Okay? Now, it's also interesting to note, Derek, can you go back one slide? Luke is pretty meticulous in telling us what time of year it is. It is Passover. It is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And so if you go back in Jewish history... Passover is a time that celebrates this, this event, this most famous event in Jewish history, and it was the last of all the plagues. And Moses had told the children of Israel to paint the blood of the lamb on their doors and that the angel of death would pass by and the firstborn of all who did not obey and have blood on their doors, would lose, they would lose their firstborn. But the children of the, of the Israelites were spared because they obeyed. And this was the plague that put Pharaoh over the limit and for him to say, you may go. This is the celebration of the Jews escaping and being delivered out of the hands of Egypt. And this is celebrated again and again and again. Now, it's also interesting to note that Jesus himself was crucified over Passover weekend. This is a holiday that commemorates deliverance. And so as Passover approaches, we have Peter sleeping in a prison, entirely at peace. Is a time of deliverance. And now I don't know about you, but if I'm shackled between two guards and there's guards everywhere and I'm about to stand trial in front of a man who has just murdered my friend, I am probably not sleeping. Are you sleeping? I am panicking, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking about all the things I didn't do, thinking about what I can do. I might even get radical and just start beating people up to see if I can get out. I mean, what have I got to lose, right? Peter's just sleeping. In fact, he's sleeping so deeply that when he gets slugged in the side by an angel, he thinks he's dreaming. He's that asleep. He is that at peace. He is refusing to be afraid. And so this angel comes in, and this is and I I don't say slug just to be funny. Like the word there is actually a really strong word. This angel comes and smacks him and says, Get up. Pack your bags, put your sandals on, put your cloak on, we're getting out of here. And I have no idea what these soldiers are doing. Have you ever wondered that? Like, are they asleep? Do they not notice the shackles fall and this guy, like, packing his bags and leaving? Like, they don't even know. And so this angel gathers them and they walk out. And just as the Lord had split that Red Sea for the children of Israel, and just as that curtain had torn between the presence of God and his people when Jesus died on that cross, that final gate just pops wide open. Can you imagine? It is a day of deliverance. And so Peter finally (laughs) gets out into the street and the angel's gone and he notices, you know, the air is kind of fresh. It's cooler out here. (laughs) It smells a little better than prison. And oh my goodness, I didn't dream this up. This isn't a vision. An angel of the Lord has actually busted me out of prison. And the Lord doesn't move like that unless he's got things for me to do. And so Peter is on a mission. And he heads to a house where he knows that people have gathered to pray. And he knocks at the door. And these people are praying for Peter. Okay? They are praying for Peter. Now, I don't know what they're praying, but if your friend is in prison, you're probably praying for his deliverance. And Rhoda says, hey, guys, Peter's outside. And they're like, 
No, he's not. That's not possible. They literally don't believe that the Lord has answered their prayers. And so Peter keeps knocking. He's adamant. And they come and they finally see that, lo and behold, Peter stands there. And he says, tell the, tell the brothers and sisters and you need to tell James. And now obviously this is a very different James than the one that was beheaded a couple weeks ago. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And Luke notes this because James is going to be the figurehead of the movement of the church in Jerusalem as it goes on. James is very conservative as a Jew by nature, and he does well to relate to the Sanhedrin. So he needs to know what has happened so that he can smooth things over. And so they tell James, and then it says that Peter leaves to go to another place. And Luke does not tell us where Luke go or where Peter goes. We don't know where he goes. And we don't really hear from Peter again until Galatians when it just says that he comes to the Jerusalem council. But church history tells us that Peter went out and he spread that gospel and he spread that gospel until it got him nailed to a cross. Jesus had saved him for kingdom purposes and he went out and he did those. Now, if you've been following along with our 40-day prayer challenge with City Fest and you've been reading that um, circle prayer book, did anybody read, the, read it this morning? All right, if you read it this morning, or if you're going to read it later, I'm going to spoil it. I'm sorry. But, but it's very clear that the Lord is up to something this morning, because this morning's reading is a story that Pastor Mark Batterson tells. And his church was expanding, and they very much wanted to expand to a coffee shop that would reach the community. But the issue is this coffee shop, this land, and everything that goes into it was going to cost them $2 million dollars. And so Batterson notes that he just felt urged to start praying this absolutely irrational prayer for $2 million. He said, Lord, would you bless us with $2 million? Now, I could work my whole life and never see $2 million. Like, this is completely irrational. And he prays and he prays. And a couple years pass, and Batterson starts to get frustrated because this money's not here. And so he starts to fear, and he tries to control, and he tries to come up with this business venture that's certainly going to make $2 million. And about a year later, he finds himself $15,000 deeper in the hole. So he takes a step back and he licks his wounds and he starts praying again. And he says, Lord, would you give us $2 million? I believe this coffee shop is what you want for your kingdom. Would you give us the money for it? And out of the blue one day, he answers a phone call and a man on the other end says, Pastor Mark, I would like to give you $3 million. And Pastor Mark doesn't say anything because what do you say, right? Like, sure, check or cash, I don't know. And the guy backs up and he says, listen, you have a vision that the Lord has given you that exceeds beyond your rational means, and I believe in it, and I want to invest in it, and I feel like I need to help you do that. And so I would like to give you $3 million. And Pastor Mark notes that after that, it was as if the very floodgates of donations had happened. And even bigger gifts just started to come in as this ministry advanced and as the kingdom of God was pushed through Pastor Mark and his congregation. And so at the end of this, Batterson has this quote that I'm sure you all read already, but I'm going to do it again. The size of your prayers depends on the size of your God. And if your God is small, you're going to pray man-sized prayers, which is pretty small. But if your God knows no limits, then neither will your prayers. The God we pray to exists outside 
of the four space-time dimensions. He functions outside of gravity, outside of the laws of nature, outside the laws of your body, the laws of this world. He created this world. He is in control of it. And maybe we should pray as if we believe that. Do we pray irrational things in faith? And when those things happen, do we receive them? Or do we say, there's no way? (laughs) Okay? So I'm not saying that we should pray for every irrational thing under the sun. I would really, really like a lotus. I saw one going down the road the other day. Anybody else? Lotus, classic car. Anybody, anybody? Okay, I'm not saying we pray for these things. We pray in accordance with the will of God. And the will of God is always that his kingdom might come. Okay, if we want to pray for our friends who need the Lord, that is in accordance with his will because he seeks that all would be entered into the kingdom. If we want to pray that the Lord would increase our budget for the purpose of serving him better and in serving our neighbors better, that is in accordance with his will to to make his kingdom come. We pray in accordance with the kingdom of God. Now the faithful gathered in the house that night praying for Peter might not have prayed for a miraculous release. I don't know if anybody literally said, Lord, would would you equip an angel to just bust in there and like pull him out? I don't know if they prayed that. And they might not have because they might have thought that God's power no longer extends over Herod's hand in the hands of his guards because James had died. So maybe God's power isn't that big anymore. And we might not pray that the Lord would increase our budget because after all, we were put on this world to work hard and we need to strive and figure that out ourselves. And God certainly can't just create funds out of nowhere for his kingdom purposes. And we might not pray that God will miraculously heal our friends of cancer because he's given us surgeons and doctors and medical treatments, but maybe he just doesn't do miracles anymore. But here's the deal, friends. We started with this point that God is the same yesterday and he's the same today and he's the same forever. We serve a God who put Jericho in rubble, a God who stopped the sun so that a battle could finish, And a God that literally busted Peter out of prison. And by the way, this is the second time that God has done this in Acts. In Acts chapter 5, all of the apostles were busted out of prison by an angel. So when I started to plan for this sermon, I felt led to ask on my Facebook page what the most irrational thing anybody had ever prayed for and how the Lord had delivered it. And this is what I got. These are just a few of the responses that I received. So people today have prayed these prayers and they have received healthy babies to families who have lost many. The Lord has delivered life back to two children who have died. These are just things listed on my page, my friends. Two friends, two children brought back from the de- from death. He has given perfect spouses to those who prayed diligently for the best mate possible for them. He has brought prodigal children back into the fold He's even restored marriages through the irrational means of a house fire that united a couple in rebuilding after the rubble of their house. He has healed a paralytic. He has melted away cancerous tumors. And he has given money where there is no money to be found. What irrational things might the Lord have us pray for this morning? Where in our own lives and our own families 
and our own communities does the kingdom need to come? And now I'm not saying that we need to think of all these irrational things to pray. I think the Lord would love our bold, big, ridiculous prayers. But we also serve a God who gives exceedingly more, exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And this morning I was walking through the, through the sanctuary and I was praying. And the Lord just kept saying, get me out of the box. Just get me out of the box. I have created this world I have created your body. I have created your relationships. I have created your jobs and your budgets and your bank accounts and everything that you do with your world. I have ordained every step of your day. And you do not pray as if you believe that. Where have we drawn lines in the sand where we think that God cannot reach anymore? Does God fix cars? Does God heal bodies? Does God transform neighborhoods and cities? Does God transform nations? Does God topple political structures? He does all these things. And so you might have noticed that we moved around family prayer time, and that was very deliberate. Because I think that this morning the Lord would have us pray a little more boldly. And I think he might have us pray a little bit more audaciously. And so if you're new to Gold Avenue Church, one of my favorite things about the Gold Avenue Church community, it's just like those people praying in the house that night. We pray as a community, and we pray earnestly together. And so as we close, I'm going to have the worship team slowly wander up, but we're going to take our time, and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord where he might have his kingdom come. You're welcome to pray nice and out loud from your seats. I'll walk and I'll turn down the fans so we can hear you. So church, will you pray with me?